trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, whether you're a longtime wrong thinker or a first-time, kind of freedom-curious individual, you have found the right place. Why? Well, because the battle for your mind is real. And I'm not here to tell you what to think, but I am here to encourage you in every possible way to think more clearly, more independently, and perhaps a bit more deeply on the subject of whatever it is that's going on around us. So I invite you to come find courage and camaraderie and claim your birthright as a free individual. Got some exciting stuff to share with you today. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, LifesavingFood.com, and also MonticelloCollege.org. And it's it's interesting that uh, I'm, I'm going to start with, uh, with a piece here. In fact, I, I may spend the better part of this hour sharing a piece from the, the co-founder and president of Monticello College. That would be Dr. Shannon Brooks. Now, he's also the author of a, of a book called American, The Killing of the American Dream. And, and I, I understand that sounds kind of dire. Holy cow, are things that bad? Well, when you, when you take the long historical view, when you get some, some serious perspective on what is happening, it does paint a picture that is, uh, shall we say, less than favorable for what's been going on and, and <coughs> excuse me, where we seem to be headed. But I, I want to share this with you because uh, for, for a couple of different things. Number one, I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know here, but uh, economically, look at the amount of spending that has been taking place. Look at the amount of borrowing that has been done to facilitate that kind of government spending. And we're talking, you know, consumer spending as well. There's, there's a lot of people who are deep, deep in debt. And at the risk of sounding alarmist, it just it isn't going to continue. It can't. It's, it's not a sustainable approach. So we are likely to see the, the dollar... Um, either deliberately or maybe just as a consequence of all the, the bad monetary policies and bad spending and taxation policies, the dollar appears to be in some pretty serious trouble. Now, again, this, this is not about scaring you. This is not about making you panic. Oh, run to the bank and demand every penny that you have in the bank. No, it's, it's more of a warning, but also some very serious historical perspective, and particularly in light of the uh, fourth turning uh, historical cycles. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, you'll know that uh, I, I don't see history as just this linear timeline where we have a few hash marks here and there. Well, something interesting happened. This person was born and this person did something. But, you know, it's just a, it's just a line going off, you know, towards an indeterminate future. No. There are cycles that take place. And this article by Shannon Brooks is... Excellent, because it not only talks about what is happening right now in terms of um, the dollar, in terms of how did we get to the point where the dollar was the dominant, the world reserve currency and so forth. But we're going to talk about how this fourth turning methodology or this fourth turning model 
it makes sense that, that we're facing some of the problems that we are right now. And it's, it's a very lengthy article. I'm not going to have time to share all of it. Even if I spend the whole hour on it, I won't have time to share the whole thing. However, you will find it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. It'd be really worth your time to read this. Not just read it, but to understand it as well. Because it's not there for the purpose of frightening you. This is for the purpose of helping you understand what has happened, how we got here, also what is likely to happen, and then to to prepare yourself to, to exercise some of the options that are still at your disposal. So let's start with this article. It's called The Shrinking Hegemon, A Fourth Turning Reality. And it starts in 1944 with the Allied, soon-to-be Victor Nations, meeting in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire, for the United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference. Now, at that time, keeping in mind, you know, 1944, the world economy was very shaky. And these allies got together to discuss the prevailing issues that plagued currency exchange. The Bretton Woods Agreement, which resulted from this meeting, set the stage for all global economic systems for the next 75 years. And this new global economy was based on the gold standard and the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. All other currencies were then based on the dollar. Now, world reserve currency is the currency that's chosen to provide stability for global economies. And here... Shannon Brooks includes a few excerpts from an article written by Kathy Jones from the Charles Schwab Financial Group back on March 19th of this year. Quote, We are often asked if the U.S. dollar will lose its status as the world's reserve currency. She says investors are worried or concerned rather that the Federal Reserve's easy monetary policy combined with rising budget deficits will undermine confidence in the dollar. Now, the recent drop in the dollar over the past year has heightened these concerns. And while we agree that there can be unforeseen consequences from the current policy mix, we believe the dollar's role as the dominant global currency looks secure. Interesting, isn't it? She seems to feel like, no, this is good. This is, we're good. So here Shannon goes into a a description of what are reserve currencies. Now, the reserve currencies are typically issued by large developed countries with records of financial stability to be held in reserve by a foreign central bank. That means a currency typically needs to be freely convertible, in other words, not pegged by the government, have a large and liquid debt market that foreign investors can access, have an independent central bank, and be widely used in trade and global transactions. So in addition to the U.S. dollar, the euro, the Japanese yen, The British pound, the Swiss franc, Australian dollar, and Chinese uh, renminbi are all held in reserve. However, the dollar is by far the most widely held currency at 60% based on 2020 data from the International Monetary Fund. Now, the U.S. dollar is also used in about 40% of global trade and nearly 80% of all global cross-border transactions. Does that surprise you? Most commodities and many other goods are traded in U.S. dollars, oil, copper, agricultural goods, just to name a few. That means investors need to hold dollars to trade in these goods and services, and they need to have a large liquid bond market to be able to invest in those dollars. Now, of course, having the world's reserve currency has afforded the U.S. some privileges. 
It means there's underlying demand for U.S. bonds from foreign central banks and other large investors looking for a safe market in which to invest. That allows the U.S. to borrow at lower rates than would otherwise be possible. Many years ago, former French President uh, Valéry Giscard d'Estaing used the phrase exorbitant privilege to describe the benefits accruing to the U.S. from having the world's reserve currency. But she says that's still the case today. Now, Shannon Brooks says this means that most foreign governments hold a large supply of U.S. dollars. Why? Because it's considered the most stable currency. They keep it in reserve to ensure they can purchase vital international goods like food, industrial products, and crude oil. And this unique status afforded the U.S. in 1944 was primarily based on its performance during World War II, or more clearly, U.S. military hegemony. We were the biggest, baddest, toughest guys on the block, and as such, it's reasoned we had the most respect or fear of all other countries. And until two weeks ago, we had for the most part retained that image. The image, though, is beginning to crack, says Dr. Brooks. Now, he says, what happens to a country's economy that's been at the top of the game for 75 years and then suddenly is no longer king of the hill? How does losing world reserve status affect a national economy and the standard of living of millions of people who live there? In fact, he goes on to ask, does the loss of such status change how our, ally, how our allies and how our enemies see us? He says, for the first time since World War II, U.S. allies are scratching their heads and they're starting to rethink relationships. The current Afghanistan debacle is changing the way the U.S. is being viewed around the world. U.S. allies are starting to wonder if the U.S. can be counted on, that they can continue to count on us as a protector of democracy and Western values. Shannon says if this perception changes, if our allies lose confidence in the U.S. military and our enemies no longer fear us, he says that the world reserve currency status will begin to erode and eventually crumble. And when that happens... The U.S. economy, that once robust U.S. economy, will fail and our lives will change forever. Okay, so that's bad news, right? I'm sure you felt the same little shiver go up your spine that I did. But it's also stuff that we have seen before. And this is where we're going to delve into the fourth turning methodology. And if you're being introduced to it for the first time, maybe this will change your, your point of view. Maybe it won't. But some exciting possibilities are ahead. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com. This is one of our sponsors. In my opinion, there's never been a better time to, uh, to take another serious look at your food storage program. Now, for some people, this is going to be a little bit of a gut check because they may not have started their food storage program, had the best of intentions, thought, oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. I'm waiting for things to get serious before I start thinking in terms of, you know, what I could be stocking away for, you know, a, a rainy day. Well, you know, the rainy day is, is upon us. And this isn't uh, the, the cure for everything, but it just gives you more options when you have 
a long-term supply, whether when you have a survival kit, when you have a starter kit to, to build <clears throat> your food storage supply upon. There are a number of different packages you can choose from. Uh, you know, the you, you can pick up stuff to, to last you a week, a grab-and-go bag, you know, including a roll-top dry bag. For those of you who've experienced flooding lately, maybe this is something that would make some sense. Please go to the website, lifesavingfood.com. Check it out. If you see something there that you can use, make the purchase. And when you do, use the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, and they'll take 10% off your, your purchase price. So save you a little bit of money, give you a little bit of peace of mind. Hey, just doing our part. So I'm sharing this article from Dr. Shannon Brooks, one of the founders of Monticello College. And he is talking about the shrinking hegemon. That's the United States and its worldwide influence and how it's a fourth turning reality. He talks about what happens if, uh, if the world loses faith, for instance, in the U.S. Uh, world reserve currency status, if the dollar is no longer seen as something that uh, represents a country that could be counted on, like mil- our military might can be counted on, if our enemies no longer fear us, then we may see the dollar fall from its preferred status as the world reserve currency. And he says when that happens, our economy is going to fall. It's going to fail. And our lives will change forever. Now, Shannon says, thinking men and women can clearly see that legislation that adds trillions of dollars to our national debt, an executive administration that's ordering new pandemic lockdowns, and a continued nationwide social breakdown can only serve to weaken us as a nation. I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't out of the blue, right? This, this doesn't shock you. Oh, I never saw that coming. He says the utter failure of the U.S. withdrawal from from Afghanistan not only adds to our decline, but it will have decades of negative impact for the region and potential adverse effects on global events for the foreseeable future. Now, that's such a profound concept that he says, I think I need to restate it in greater detail. This change has the potential to reset the U.S. economy to second world conditions, economically, if not politically, in a short period of time. And that would mean, for the most part, the abolishment of the welfare state. That's going to immediately impact roughly half the American population. This, in turn, would lead to economic convulsions and civil unrest beyond anything experienced during the Great Depression. And he has a very interesting graph here. It's a survey showing how much money do you have saved in your savings account? 21% said, I have no money, or I don't have an account, a savings account. 25% no savings account. $50 uh, was about 28%. Just the minimum balance requirement was about 9%. Less than $1,000, that was roughly 13% of the respondents, Somewhere between $1,000 and $4,999, that's about 10% of the population. 5% has between $5,000 and $9,999. 14% of the population has $10,000 or more in saving. Now, this isn't to say, boy, if you can just stockpile that money, you're going to be safe. Here's what he's getting at. He says, this change would mean a sudden denial of nearly all personal credit, which means it would force all, almost all Americans, 
to live within their means, which for the vast majority would be far below their current standard of living. Nearly 70% of Americans have no emergency fund. And Shannon Brooks says this kind of change will make the housing collapse of 2008 look like a Sunday picnic. Not six million American families displaced from their homes, rather tens of millions of defaulted mortgages and evictions. Now, there are, of course, other reasons for a decline in global dominance, internal social decay, a loss of national identity, greed, avarice, poor governance, natural disasters. And this has been the case for every other major historical power. So this is the good news. I know it's like, okay, this is this is feeling pretty heavy. But the thing you have to understand is this has happened before. This is part of a historical cycle. The events may not be, you know, word for word what happened, but this has happened within the Egyptian Empire, the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, Chinese dynasties, just to name a few. Now, Shannon says it seems to be our turn. Now, those who are proactive to this coming change can actually benefit or at least not suffer from it. Those who rely on normalcy bias, though, will lose most of what they have and will struggle for decades. And this is where he gets into something that I know a lot of people really haven't thought about. Not because they're stupid, not because they're blind and, you know, they they just don't know better. They simply don't know what they don't know. Back in 2009, Shannon, along with Oliver DeMille, published the book Thomas Jefferson Education for Teens. This was a way to alert youth to what was coming and how to engage it. And particularly in Chapter 7, Success in the Next 20 Years, they offered some solutions to our current predicament. Now, the thing you have to understand is history runs in cycles. And there is a pattern of four seasons repeated over and over, each about 20 to 25 years long. Like the seasons of the year, one naturally follows another, and each one feels different and accomplishes a different purpose in the grand scheme of things. In their book, The Fourth Turning, authors William Strauss and Neil Howe call these four seasons turnings, like the phases of a cycle. And Shannon says, we strongly recommend you purchase and read this important book. Got a copy of it sitting right here on my desk in front of me, even as I I share this article with you. So the four seasons are, and this is, this is a great introduction to that fourth season methodology. First, there's a founding. This is where new institutions are built up to solve the great problems that culminated in the last cycle. So the United Nations, Social Security, World Bank, International Monetary Fund, NATO, and other organizations created right after the Great Depression and World War II. These were part of the founding of our our last fourth turning. That was the first, that's the first turning, right? Lots of businesses flourished during that period. Think of what post-war America was, the baby boom, a lot of industry. Okay, you get the picture. Second comes the awakening. This is where youth grow up and challenge the old establishments, like the counterculture movement of the 60s at Woodstock, or the civil rights movement iconically led by Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King. And also strong pushes for feminism, environmentalism, etc. The next season is the third turning. This is an unraveling. Two or more big viewpoints in political parties fight for power and everything seems like it's coming apart. Economies boom. Now remember, the last unraveling took place between 1984 and 2001. 
the one before that in the Roaring Twenties. Finally, that brings us to the fourth turning, which is crisis. Big problems come. Actually, crisis seasons usually consist of three crises in a row, sometimes overlapped. First is the wake-up crisis that shakes everyone. That would be things like the Boston Tea Party, the election of Abraham Lincoln, or maybe the 1929 stock market crash, which started the Great Depression. In recent times, it appears that the 2008 housing crisis was likely the big catalyst for us. So that sets the stage a little bit for us. Founding, awakening, unraveling, crisis. Yeah, we've definitely reached the crisis phase. Stick around. I'll share more of this article from Shannon Brooks with you just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. So we're taking a little bit of a deep dive into fourth-turning models of history. This, this is a cyclical approach to history. I'm sharing this from Dr. Shannon Brooks, who is one of the founders of Monticello College. They are one of my sponsors, just in case I need to get that disclosure out there. But this is a fascinating way to understand what's going on around us. And in the last segment, we spelled out how these four turnings are roughly like seasons. We have reached the crisis season, and the first crisis that comes is a wake-up crisis. Okay, we got that far. <clears throat> I think uh, most people who are paying attention looked at uh, what's the wake-up crisis that kind of sets things in motion. Sometimes this is called the catalyst. In past times, you know, the, the Boston Tea Party, the election of Abraham Lincoln, stuff like that, that was the catalyst. In our day, there were a lot who thought, myself included, maybe that uh, 9-11, right? We're coming up on the anniversary here in just a few days. 9-11 could have been the catalyst. Probably not, though, because a bigger crisis followed just about seven years later, and that was the 2008 housing crisis. Now, second comes a major economic crisis, and then third, there's usually a major war or a pandemic or a mixture of these and other calamitous elements all at the same time. So think about the last several crisis seasons. They included the Revolutionary War, and the subsequent depression, the Civil War and Depression, the Great Depression and World War II. And Shannon says, okay, sounds bad, huh? But he says the bad news, which is also the biggest challenge in all this, is that when the crisis comes, almost everyone who's over 30 years of age is totally immersed in the rules, conventions, and patterns for success of the last phase. Now, this is super important. Because what worked for you during a first, second, or third turning does not work during the fourth turning. Shannon says this means that even though, the, even though the economic boom times and the long periods of peace are apparently over for a time, most people keep making choices that reflect what used to work, even though now all of the rules have changed. And what that means then is they make ineffective choices because they don't realize the rules have changed. For instance, parents educated in second or third seasons often think that kids should see education as job training. But that's a big mistake for a, force, for a fourth and first season. In these seasons, teens need to be prepared for <clears throat> excuse me, entrepreneurship and initiative much more than job-specific skills. 
And there are many other differences between seasons. So here are some of the leading rules of success in each turning. In each season, success is found in, uh, for instance, in the second and third turnings, big institutions, professional careers, investment, credentials and resume, leisure and entertainment. Those are the places where you find success. But in a fourth turning and in a first turning, the dominant things will be family and community relations, entrepreneurial ability, initiative, and leadership skills. Dr. Brooks doesn't mince words here. He says the way to fail in the fourth and first seasons is to try to live by the rules of the previous seasons. But he says the way to to succeed is to engage the new reality. Now, those who live or thrive in times of recession, depression, uh, slow growth economies, even war and other major crises, are the people who focus on home, community, and entrepreneurship. Can I just give you a quick aside on what that what that sounds like to me? I'm I'm going to liken this to something that that we're seeing right now, and that is the the push to keep the, the unvaccinated from participating in real society. But if you are a person who has been entrepreneurial, if you have created, I think that the term that Shannon and, and uh, Dr. DeMille used was uh, they, they talked about a mini factory. In other words, a home-based business. If you have taken the time to build a home-based business, a little cottage industry, you have some insulation from this attempt to shun people based on either vaccination status or political status or whatever whatever else comes up. I don't want to, you know, take it off into the weeds just on the vaccination issue. I'm just saying you are seeing a point in time where people are very actively saying those who are not like this should be excluded from society. You can't fly. You can't board a train or a bus. You can't shop. You cannot attend entertainment events. You can't socialize. If that's the case, then you better have an alternate means. You can't work, right? You can't work here unless you do what we say. Isn't that something? Now he says, as for real life, from now through the night, from the now through the twenty twenties, I'm sorry, the twenty thirties, the twenty forties, maybe even into the twenty fifties, it's time to get real. In other words, success now and for most of your life will be determined according to the rules of the first and fourth seasons. The new fourth-turning economy and society is here, and the realities with it. Now, these new realities need all your idealism and enthusiasm, but they can't and won't be the past, which too many adults are desperately trying to cling to or just beginning to mourn over. Those days are gone. Now, I understand that last sentence, those days are gone. That's, that hits some people like a ton of bricks. And I'm definitely one of those who, I, even though I've been aware of you know, the fourth turning model, even though I'm aware that things are changing, that the rules don't apply in a fourth turning that applied in, you know, a first or second or third turning. That's been very hard for me to, to embrace or to, to accept. But what we think of as normal, I think it's safe to say it's, it's not coming back. It's, it's not because you're bad. It's not because you didn't believe hard enough or vote right. It's because that is the nature of these historical cycles. So the key here is to focus on what works within the turning that you are undergoing right now and be willing to turn loose of what came before. See, there's a lot more to this 
And again, the book itself explains there are generational archetypes. Uh, my mom is of a hero generation. I'm of a nomad generation, and we have very different views on on what matters and, and how life is supposed to be lived. For instance, my parents' generation, the idea was, look, you get a job, and you stick with that job, and you work until you can retire, get the gold watch, and then, you know, that's the way it's done. But it was all about stability, stability. You get the job, the dream job that uh, keeps you employed and safely getting a paycheck until you retire. Now, some people in my generation have been able to do that. But you know what? As a generation, as a nomadic generation, a lot of us have found it necessary to reinvent ourselves, sometimes multiple times. And that means that we have had to steer clear of some of the the things that worked before. You know, I... I lived through that phase where, you know, the biggest focus in my life was getting a steady paycheck and a job that I could count on. And that was kind of dumb to look for that in radio. But, hey, you know, I learned from it. (laughs) Nonetheless, those rules don't apply now. And I'm slow. I was slow to get on the bandwagon, but I have uh, since worked at, at being an entrepreneur, launching my own business, doing my own thing, standing on my own feet. It took a few tries for me. Okay, I'm I'm one of the slow kids, but hey, eventually I'm getting there. Some people figured this out a long time ago. I can't recommend the book strongly enough, though. Get the book, The Fourth Turning, by William Strauss and Neil Howe. The subtitle is What Cycles of History Tell Us About America's Next Rendezvous with Destiny. And and just something that I want to add here to hopefully calm your nerves. Those other turnings that we've talked about, okay, the revolution and the founding period, that was a big deal. I mean, the fate of the nation hung in the balance. The Civil War and Reconstruction, same thing. The landscape looked very different on the other side of that crisis than it did going into it. Same thing with the Great Depression and World War II. The whole world aligned differently afterward. And when the storm that we are currently in right now abates, which it probably will sometime in the next 10 to 15 years, things are going to look very different on the other side. Now, you and I don't have a lot of direct control over that. But recognizing what's going on gives you options you would not otherwise have. And something that we do have control over, and this has real impact on what the outcome may be, is what kind of individuals are we? What kind of contribution are we making? I'm going to make a few people uncomfortable, but I feel like I need to say this, so I'm going to say it. A lot of folks feel what what I could only refer to or, or liken to a calling from God, a very personal call to step up and do something or be something that they otherwise might not have considered. And they feel it strongly enough that they are willing to stick their necks out and, and really devote themselves to becoming something and someone who is, is there to make a difference in a way that only they can. Now, if that's making you uncomfortable, I'm going to suggest it's not just because uh, I suddenly morphed into a religious fanatic right there in, your, in front of your very ears. It's probably making you uncomfortable because you recognize there's some truth there. Maybe you've been trying to tamp that down and ignore it. But if you're feeling that sense of calling like there's something for you to do, I urge you in the gentlest possible terms, answer the call. You will not regret it. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just got to take a quick time out here and thank one of our sponsors, and that would be the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They're located in St. George, Utah. And if you are one of the people moving to the Intermountain West and you're excited about the options you have of you know, uh, finding a new home here in, among a more freedom-minded people, this is particularly for those who are fleeing some of the coastal areas where you know, the lockdowns have been ridiculous. Um, first of all, congratulations. I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you're here. Now, finding a home and being able to uh, get that home, that's challenging. It's the craziest real estate market most of us have ever seen. When you find the home of your dreams, your financing has to be squared away right now. This is where the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage comes in because they specialize in getting you the loan that you need, VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages, they have the clout and the stability to help you get that loan without delay. Now, Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. You can call 435-703-4522 or they're located at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. All right, that's it. I am sharing this article from Dr. Shannon Brooks from MonticelloCollege.org. Our shrinking hegemon, a fourth-turning reality. I hope it doesn't sound too cult-like to say you really should read this book, The Fourth Turning, but it had such a profound effect on how I tend to see what's happening, current events as well as historical events, because once the pattern has been pointed out, once you recognize those cycles of history, and some of the generational archetypes that go along with it, the attitudes that come along, you start to realize this is not something new. This this is our turn to pass through a gate in history that others before us have passed through. And frankly, if you live uh, basically to the age of a tree, if you live, you know, 80 to 120 years, you're very likely going to experience this. So here we go. And for a lot of people, they sense the change. They don't understand why it's happening. They don't understand what they can do. But if you take away nothing else from from me sharing this with you, the thing to take away is that the rules that worked in those previous turnings or seasons, if you will, because they're very much like the seasons of the calendar, what worked before will not work. So second and third turning rules don't apply in a fourth turning or in a first turning you got to be adaptable. And for a lot of people, that's hard. I'm, I'm not somebody who has always done well with change. I've fought it tooth and nail. you got to learn to roll with the punches. You've got to learn to reinvent yourself. I've been given this advice many times. Now I'm passing it on to you. The difference is, from the time I first heard that advice to this moment, I've actually had a chance to put this into practice. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, it, this is true. This is legit. But the important thing is it gives you options. So, taking the long view, Shannon Brooks says another key of leadership is to focus on what's next, not dwelling on the past or even the challenges of now. You've heard me talk about maybe it's time to focus on building what comes next. This is where I get that thinking. 
Overcoming current challenges, Shannon says, is important, but the focus should be on what's ahead. He says, because of cycles and seasons, some of the most important classics to study as a teen, now this was written for a teen audience, uh, at least this excerpt that he's sharing from from the book, uh, Thomas Jefferson Education for Teens, he says some of the most important classics to study as a teen are those written during fourth and first seasons by authors who lived through them. One of the best of these, with a focus on family and entrepreneurship, is a book called Our Home by C.E. Sargent. Sargent lived in the fourth turning of the Civil War and built his career and family in the first turning that followed. So here are a few of the rules for financial success, family leadership, and overall happiness in fourth and first seasons, as thought by C.E. Sargent. Number one, C.E. Sargent said, embrace the new and the now. Number two, articulate and write down your personal rules for life and live them. I've got a good friend, Tyler. Here's a shout out to you. When Tyler and I first met, one of the things he shared with me was his personal rules for life. And this was not some superficial, you know, eat till you're hungry, sleep till you're, or what is it, eat till you're tired, sleep till you're hungry. No, he had put serious thought into it. In fact, as I read through his rules of life, I recognized, man, this guy is a kindred spirit. He's seriously thought about who he is and what his life is about. And I I can't recommend this enough. I mean, this may sound like uh, your daily affirmation is to write your rules of life and then read them and stay on target with them. But it it does work. So take C.E. Sargent's advice. Articulate and write down what you believe, what you stand for, and live up to those rules. Number three, make meaning a central focus of your learning conversations, and thinking. Now, he also says, be grateful and look for the silver lining. This is something that I know a lot of people right now are struggling with depression. And it's because of the various tensions, the lockdowns, the opportunities that have been denied or have have been squandered. But if you want to be grateful, it will help to carry you through those times of difficulty. Look for the silver lining. What do you have to be thankful for? You know, uh, Shannon Brooks talks about uh, reading books that were written, you know, by people who lived through fourth turnings. Corey Tenboom, The Hiding Place. I mean, she she can teach you a lot about how to live through a fourth turning and some of the, the crisis that comes with it. Well, what's her claim to fame? Well, she and her uh, sister, Bessie, were put into a concentration camp in World War II. But she found gratitude. Their barracks were so infested with lice, the German guards didn't dare come in there. And because of that, Corey was able to keep a Bible that she had smuggled into the camp secret from the guards. It wasn't confiscated. They had a source of strength to turn to, even though they had to live among, you know, pestilence. (laughs) Something to think about. Number four, again, this is from C.E. Sargent. Make marriage the central focus of your life. Number five, embrace entrepreneurship, and which he says is the only path to stability in uncertain times. Find a way to create value for other people. Number six, develop creativity and inventiveness. Figure things out. 
Number seven, dig deep and find your inner resiliency. Stay optimistic and enthusiastic. And by the way, this isn't just putting on a Pollyanna, everything's great, you know, kind of attitude. The benefit of this may not accrue so much to you, but the people around you who see that you are steady in the midst of turmoil, they're going to draw strength from that. We need people who can be steady. Now, if, if you uh, want to know more about this, you can read the entire seventh chapter of A Thomas Jefferson Education for Teens. And finally, Shannon asked you to encourage what uh, he calls the new economy. Now, I've been to his campus and had a chance to see this firsthand with my own eyes. At Monticello College, he is training students to see the world differently and to consider the viability and value of getting a world-class library education. This is something you and I can do, by the way, in, in our spare time, if we are willing to introduce our minds to the books and the things that will actually give us that education. We have to go after it ourselves. Part of that new economy is building a home without a mortgage. Now, this isn't going to be the big luxury at the end of the street. You know, this isn't going to be the big house that everybody brags about. But it's functional living space. Not quite a tiny home, but if you can build a home without a mortgage, you're in a secure place. Learning to live with off-grid energy, be that wind or solar, growing all of one's food, starting your own business. This is things that he these are things he discusses in detail in his latest book, American: Killing the American Dream. Shannon says there is no doubt that things are changing. All students of history know that society tends to be fluid, not fixed and rigid. Those who can't change with the times are doomed to suffer the consequences. So he says we get past the point of speculation. The writing is on the wall. The proof is in the pudding. He says if you've made it to this closing paragraph, it's likely we share this view. So his question then is are you prepared? Have you already implemented these kinds of changes in your life? And if your answer is yes, then he says, thank God for your foresight. Now go and help others. But if your answer is no, then the question he has for you is, what in the world are you waiting for? Take heart. Okay? We've, we've seen our way as a, as a society, as a people. We've seen our way through tough things before. It's our turn to live through interesting times. There's great opportunity. There's a great sense of purpose for those who are willing to embrace it. Consider being one of those people. This is The Brian Hyde Show.